All right, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Cross Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo, and Anthony will bring you in just a second here. Great start for the Phillies, five and one, first place. Everybody's feeling good. They go out on the road, three games at Atlanta, three games at New York, and it looks like the sky is falling once again after a road trip, which the Phillies went just one and five, no offense. What on earth is going on with this team? Bob, are we allowed to be negative now? <laughs> I guess we can be. Are we allowed to be negative? I mean, because yeah, we, we, were, we were pissing positive for, for a good couple weeks there. I mean, are we allowed to go back to our old ways? Yeah, I think that this is the appropriate time. I think that most of our listeners knew that this episode was coming. Hey, you know, in the middle of a three-game losing streak, fire up the microphones and let's get into it. <laughs> They're lucky it's not a six-game losing streak. I mean, they're, they're a bad replay away from this being a six-game losing streak, potentially. And uh, some, some cooperation from Mother Nature preventing them from seeing Jacob DeGrom yes. yesterday yes. off of uh, two losses to start the season by the Mets in which he's pitched absolutely lights out. So, Phillies, I actually think, got some advantageous breaks or some fortuitous breaks here over the last handful of days. Or, yes, this probably could be a little bit worse than it looks right now as they get set to play the Cardinals at Citizens Bank Park. Well, I'll say this, Bob. This is the one thing I'll say. This is, this is me kind of still slanting a little bit positive. If at the beginning of the season, knowing you know, we, we said that, you know, that these first, well, 13 games end up being 12 because of the rain out, um, that the first 12 games, would we take six and six against the Braves and the Mets? And I bet we both would have said, yeah, yeah, we'll take six and six against the Braves and Mets. But because it went five and one and then one and five, now we're not happy with it. Right now, we're like, no, nah, this isn't good enough. They need to be better. So it's interesting. I think it's a re- it's certainly a recency thing. Um, why we're going to be a little bit negative today. So I, I do take it, but I do have the ability to go look at it and say, if you asked me on April first if I if I would be comfortable with six and six by April sixteenth, I'd say sure. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I'm on board with that. And if you look around the National League East right now, I mean, the Atlanta Braves, everybody's darling. They've also struggled out of the gates. I mean, I obviously they, they kind of got back on track against the Phillies last weekend, it, you know, at least for two games. But then they struggled with the Marlins this week. And so they're having a hard time getting it going. You look around baseball right now, teams like the Yankees, uh, a popular World Series pick. Again, off to a little bit of a sluggish start. So it's, you know, we tend to hyper focus and be ultra critical about the Phillies. And I actually think that in a way this is a positive. I feel like we're starting to kind of look at the Phillies like we do Eagles games. Like each game is so important that we make these like really sweeping judgments based on what we're seeing. But you do have to kind of pump the brakes and say, hey, six and six after 12 games against some pretty good teams uh, is not a bad place to be. For me, though, the one concern that I really have, because I don't want to make um, I don't want to make damning statements against this offense and, you know, talk about what they're getting out of the rotation quite yet. Like I want to see a little bit more before we really assess this thing. But the one thing that does kind of agitate me when I look at this team is its performance on the road. And you look at how much they struggled on the road last season, and then they go out on their first road trip this year, and they're just lifeless. And and I I tweeted this on, I guess it was Wednesday night. You know, the the Phillies aren't hitting the ball with consistency right now. They're not driving the baseball with any consistency. A lot of strikeouts. The second highest K rate in all of baseball behind just the Cubs. And, you know, sometimes I think a lack of offense can be mistaken for not having any zip, not having any life. So I want to be really careful when I look at this. But I have to tell you, man, this team just doesn't seem to have any juice when they're out on the road. And it's been like that now for a few years. And I don't really get it. 
Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird thing when you, you know, I never really put much stock in home versus away in any sport, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's always, you're always supposed to be better at home. It's always easier at home. You're more familiar with the ballpark. You're sleeping in your own bed. You're around your family and whatever. You have your fans supporting you, right? So you're always going to be better at home than on the road. But I don't necessarily understand when you have a consistent chasm like the Phillies have had over the past few years between home and home record and road record. I mean, I, their road record, I think, over the last three years is some kind of staggeringly poor percentage, like 37 percent or something, something like that. I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I don't understand why that is. Um and you have a veteran team here, you know, guys like JT Romuto, Bryce Harper, Gene Segura, Didi Gregoris. These aren't like young kids that, that are out of their comfort zone. These are guys that have played on the road for years that have experience, should probably be less inclined to play poorly or, or you see, you know, be less inclined or immune to, to these ridiculous splits. Um, but that's just not been the case. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just strange, Bob. The only thing I can even conceive – and this is me. This might be a little bit of a stretch, but not much of one, but maybe a little bit of a stretch. Um, you know, we, we had an uh, off air conversation last week where we didn't. We, I said to you, you know, we didn't even get into how poor the Phillies defense is. It's really I mean, outside of real Muto, there is not a good defensive player on this team. OK, maybe maybe you say Segura is passable at second base and. Harper's passable in right field, but the rest of it's is just kind of bad. Is it exacerbated when you're playing in places that you're not familiar? And does that make it that much worse? Because you look at some of the bad plays that took place, you know, Didi struggling at shortstop and the plays in center field with, with, with Hazley. Um, and, and, you know, I, even Harper had one in right field against Atlanta. I'm like, man, he should have had that ball. Um, there was Alec a ball Bohm. in shallow right field the other night in New York yeah. where Segura and, and Harper both went after it. You know, again, like the hustles there, the efforts there and all that. But th that's a ball that probably should have yeah. been caught. I mean, Alec Bohm had the, the two-error uh, inning, right? I mean, so you, you look back at it and say, yeah, you know, maybe there's a little bit of something there that just it's, it's not familiar, and I don't know. I mean, like I said, maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, Bob, but if you're a bad defensive team, I got to think you're worse on the road than you are at home because of the unfamiliarity. And maybe that, maybe that's enough to make it that, that kind of a difference. Yeah. I mean, I think that there might be something to that, you know, and when, when pitching isn't going well and we looked at the bullpen last year and that was obviously the main focus. And if your lineup's not hitting Defense really does get overlooked, but I have to say this early into the season, 12 games in the fact that the Phillies defense is such a story and it's kind of become a common talking point, you know, on, on talk radio, uh, on Twitter, you see fans are talking about this defense and like, that's, that's abnormal, you know, for a, for a baseball's team, uh, for a baseball team's defense to be a primary point of conversation that lets you know that something really, really wrong is happening and, and that it's just not good enough. And, you know, the, the problem is, and the thing that really just kind of astounds me, because I'm not surprised by this defense, but I am surprised through 12 games, and again, just 12 games, where this offense is at right now. And I mean, you just look at it. One of the things that we talked about was the depth of this lineup and its ability to produce runs in a variety of different ways. And last season in 2020, they were fifth in baseball and runs per game. But, you know, you look at where this lineup's at right now, and you can look at the individual statistics. We talked a lot about center field and what they had been getting from Adam Hazley and now Roman Quinn. 
And it's obviously a mess. But when you look at this team wide, I just go to slugging percentage, man. The, the Phillies have the 25th best slugging percentage in baseball right now at 368. And I mean, like, in no world would I think that they would be a bottom, a bottom third team when it comes to slugging. When you look at what they have in the middle of that order, but it just it is not materialized. And I know that they have faced good pitching. They've seen a number of good starters this season. But at some point, you you have to turn it on a little bit. And they just have not been able to do it so far. Yeah, I, I know it's another here's another interesting thing that I thought of, and I, I didn't research it and check it to see if my if my hypothesis is correct, but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway um, and, and see what you think. So, yes, their offense was really good last year, fifth fifth best in baseball, and they're struggling this year. And then I go back and I think back to 2019, and I think back to that start in April where the offense wasn't great. A couple people were got off to a good start, but for the most part, it wasn't a great start of the season back in 2019. And I'm thinking to myself, is this just a team that needs the, the, the better – weather for hitting right it needed to be like charlie would say hitting season last year you don't start the season till july well it's already warm and you know and good weather out there and maybe the the way these guys produce is more conducive to that and you're playing these games in cooler weather in april with a lot of wind and everything and you know i mean yeah the strikeouts are that's a whole different animal but i mean if even the contact is not great contact or you know it's weak fly balls or weak ground balls maybe there's something to that too that the way that this lineup is constructed it's not it's not constructed to hit at this time of the year i mean that may be true and the reason why i actually pick out slugging because there's a ton of different metrics that we can look at it's that when you pair that slugging percentage with that strikeout rate, I mean, you sometimes will forego contact if you have a team that can just thump it out of the park and, and lives off the long ball. But right. this team is not doing that. And so when you look at the strikeouts paired with the, the, the overall power outage, you go, oh, boy, you know, and, and we'll see. I mean, maybe weather does play a part into it. Quality of opponent plays a part. Of it. You know, they've seen th- these teams that the NL East has just seen each other so much now going back to, to last July. And it's just like maybe maybe they get outside the division. They get a fresh look at some different arms and they'll have better results. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different theories. You hope that the one that that isn't isn't the actual truth is that it's just not that good of a lineup, you know. Uh, I, I'm not there yet, though. I, I think that that's a stretch, and I think that you have a long way to go before you can really come to that conclusion. But that being said, when you look at some of the individual performances of what we've seen now here over the first two weeks, I mean, it all starts with center field. And, you know, I'll preface this by saying we've talked a lot about Adam Hazley on this podcast and how we're not, you know, um, I guess huge believers in his ability to stick as an everyday center fielder. Uh, you know, I guess I should we should preface this conversation by saying certainly there's there's something going on with Adam Hazley. And, you know, you could probably come up with some guesses, I, I suppose, um, none of which sound really good. You know, clearly there's something going on. And, and when you hear like indefinite leave of absence, he's not being paid restricted list. You know, there's this isn't like uh, an injury thing, certainly. And I, I don't know, there's a, a lot of different things it could be. First and foremost, I hope he's okay. You know, like, I guess that probably goes without saying, but I just hope the guy's all right because clearly he's going through something right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you know, nobody wants to really speculate as to, as to what's keeping him out. But when you hear, um, you know, Girardi say something like, you know, we agree, uh, agree that this was the best course of action for Adam or however exactly he phrased it, um, you know, and that, you know, that they're in communication. He talked to him, he's in communication with him. Okay. 
So you, you hope that whatever it is that Adam's going through, that it's something that he can get through in a, in a timely fashion. Um, not to say that you need to rush him back and get him into this lineup because it's not like he was producing. But at the same point, you know, I mean, there he's still a young player. There's there's still some value there and, and some ups, a little bit of upside there, at least at the plate. Um, and, and so, it, you know, you don't want to see it just spiral out of control. It's interesting, you know, and I'm not trying to compare him to Jim Eisenreich by any stretch of the imagination. But if you remember yeah. when we interviewed him on this show, he was actually having a great start to his season when he you know, succumbed to his Tourette's um, and, and like it just it just ate him, ate him alive. He couldn't deal with it anymore. And he left he left baseball, um, you know, not to say that that's what Adam's going through. But I mean, it could be something like that. It could be something, you know, that he, just, he doesn't really quite know what's what's bothering him. Um, and we saw, you know, you see how Eisenreich was able to make his way back and actually turn into a, a pretty good player. Um, and, you know, can Adam Hazley do that? We hope so. You know, and 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 um, that would be a great thing for him. But in the in the in the here and now, uh, center field is a gaping hole. It's a yeah. big problem. Yeah, it's an absolute mess. And you know, certainly you kind of hope to see Adam Hazley, like you said, take a similar path that a guy like Jim Eisenreich took. And you know, whatever it is that ails him or is bothering him right now, hopefully he can use it and, and find a way to overcome it and make himself a better person, better baseball player moving forward, whatever the issue is. And to be frank with you, I, I don't know. Like I'm not right. withholding the information here because I don't want to speculate on air. I truly don't know what's going on. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, center field is a mess and you have uh, Roman Quinn out there who will be joined now by uh, Mickey Moniak. And we'll talk about Mickey Moniak in a second. Roman Quinn, I just think that the numbers are so astoundingly poor that they're they're worth mentioning. You know, it's like, yes. I can't believe I'm looking at this stat line. He's one for 20. You know, he's got uh, I, I guess he's walked once and I believe he's been hit by a pitch once. So we're talking about a guy that is hitting zero five zero right now. Oh, 50 with a two oh eight on base percentage and a two fifty eight OPS. And I mean, that is absolutely insane. And one of the statistics that you look at the OPS plus. So that's that's your OPS and how it relates to other position players that you match up with. You got a guy like JT Romuto, just for context here, he's at 144. 100 is like league average, right? Yeah. You got Gene Segura, who's at 89. So he's been a little bit below average. Didi Gregorius, 113, a little bit above average. Roman Quinn is negative 23. <laughs> he's negative 23. I've never seen that before. I never, I don't think it was possible to be negative. I thought I zero was the lowest you could be. I didn't know you could do negative. <laughs> And That's it, unbelievable. It's insane. Like, if you go back and listen to our shows over the last year, like, I like Roman Quinn a lot as a guy, <laughs> first of all. And I've actually kind of been a little bit of a supporter of his as a baseball player. Like, I look at the speed and the tools and all that stuff, and I've, I've, I've seen some upside in him or I saw some physical upside in him. And it was always like, well, if he could just stay on the field. Like, remember that? We've said that forever, right? Everyone yeah. said that. If he could just yeah. stay on the field, he'll be a good player. Well, he's staying on the field now, and he's horrible. I mean, he's completely regressed in every way. And I know that a lot of this probably is snowballed on him. It's become a confidence thing, but it is absolutely amazing. His inability to put the ball in play. I mean, he has 20 official at-bats this season, and he has struck out in 10 of those 20 at-bats. I think most of those are left-handed too, right? 
It's just amazing, man. And then when you look at this lineup and just the absolute holder is at the top of it right now, Andrew McCutcheon, a guy that I love. I mean, a great locker room guy. He's been a fantastic player for so many years. A guy who was okay last year coming off the ACL. He's one that I'm willing to afford a little bit more of an opportunity to, not just because they, they have to rely on him and because he has to be decent. But, I mean, there's enough of a track record there why I expect that he won't be hitting 139 with a, you know, 279 on base percentage once we get to May or June. But they need something more at the top of the order. And because Adam Hazley and Roman Quinn haven't panned out, it's not like they can really move McCutcheon out of there because they don't have anybody else that profiles as a leadoff man. And so this team right now has a huge hole at the back of the lineup and at the front of it. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's an issue. It's a real issue. Um, you know, going to Moniac, while it doesn't surprise me, at the same time, I'm a little, huh, you know, about it. Like, really? Like, you know, I mean, yeah, he had a great spring, really hit well. But if you see the problems that you're having defensively in center field, why, why do you think that this is a better solution than someone else who's played the position before, like either, and I get why you, I get why the team is so gun shy about Herrera. But I mean, is is Kingery that broken that you can't bring him in, in and, and bat him eighth and play center field? I mean, really? I mean, is is it that bad? Maybe. I, I actually, I think it's a valid question, but I think that the answer might be maybe. I think that maybe they feel like we have this guy that we have this investment in, and we are not going to. If he has made progress over the last couple of weeks, if that's the case. They may feel like we are not willing to risk the progress that he's making in order to try to fill a void at the major league level. Like this guy still has upside and we have to do it the right way. We have to do it the way that he's most comfortable, that we're most comfortable. And, and if that is the case and that's the philosophy, I can't argue with that because they have to long-term get him right. And so if it takes another three or four weeks for him to get up here, then, then so be it. But my thing is on the flip side of that, what I just said, I think, applies to Mickey Moniak and can be viewed as a real negative here. You have a guy that was basically written off who comes back this spring, does a really nice job, opens up some eyes. And you can say, well, Mickey Moniak can't possibly be any worse than what Adam Hazley and Roman Quinn are giving you right now. And that's true. But that doesn't mean that there aren't expectations for Mickey Moniak. You know, he's stepping into a hole now that needs to be filled. This is center field of a team that is expected to contend, expected to compete. And this is a lot to put on the plate of a kid who last year in very limited playing time looked pretty overwhelmed. And my fear is that you've now kind of gained some momentum with this player, that he is from a confidence standpoint building a little bit, and that you're now giving him way too much, way too soon, because three weeks ago when you made your opening day roster, you said he wasn't ready yet. Well, is he ready now, three weeks later, after hanging out in Lehigh Valley for a couple of weeks? I doubt it. Right. And that's my fear that now you're going to stunt his development and stunt his growth because you're hitting the panic button. And granted, I don't know what the hell else they're supposed to do, but this is a gamble in a lot of different ways. It really is, Bob. And it really is. And I'm, I'm concerned that it could end up being really damaging for Moniac because like you pointed out, he had he was he became a little bit of a reclamation project right in the in the spring in during the spring and opened some eyes and surprised some people um but if he doesn't if he's not able to replicate that pretty quickly here 
all of a sudden it's going to be, well, we saw him last year we, when he came up, he couldn't hit. Now he's back playing regularly and he can't hit. This guy's in a bust for number one overall. And, you know, invariably guys drafted high like that are going to have a sharp, uh, harsher spotlight. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast, right? When you're, when you're the first overall pick in the draft, no matter what sport you play, you're automatically going to be under scrutiny a lot more than, than the people behind you, okay? And so, therefore, it becomes even more intense pressure on him. Um, and if you don't think he's ready, which obviously they didn't, like you said, then you could really be putting him into a bad spot that maybe he, he never can get out of. It, it, could, it could spiral for him to a point that maybe he doesn't, he's not able to get out of it ever because of the pressure of being the first overall pick. Yeah, and I mean, that's the downside of it. The upside of it is that you're going to give him some consistent at-bats. Maybe he handles it. Maybe he hits the ground running and never looks back. And maybe he's the Philly center fielder or, you know, a part of the outfield solution. I would imagine that his long-term future in a Phillies uniform, if he does play well this year, would be in left field once that's vacated by Andrew McCutcheon uh, following this season, I would expect. But, you know, I mean, yeah, it it could work out. This could be just a, a perfect opportunity for him to step in and really prove himself, and that would be fantastic. Right now, there's this this belief. I think there's this feeling from Phillies fans like, you know, and we talk about Jack Fritz. You know, I I like Jack and he did the whole like, why not Mick hashtag over the spring. And Phillies fans are excited about Mickey Moniak, former number one pick. It's a good story, but things could turn on him very quickly if they don't go well. And that is my fear. And we'll see what happens. You know, it like we said, it cannot be any worse, I don't think. But I do think the other takeaway from this is it lets you know what they think about Odubel Herrera and, you know, where they and how they plan to utilize him moving forward. If there was ever a context to get Odubel Herrera on the field, uh, it was it was probably this one. And the only other thing I could think about situationally that might make some sense if you were to bring him up is if you were hitting the road for a six game or a nine game road trip and you get him acclimated out on the road for a while before you bring him here to Philadelphia and deal with whatever backlash you're going to have. And I get that there's a 40-man consideration in play and all of that, but this felt like the time that if they were going to do it, they would have probably gone to Odubel. They didn't. And so I I think that that kind of lets you know how they're evaluating the situation with him. Yeah, I mean, and you could be right. I mean, if they they do have a little bit of a road trip coming up next week, uh, next week, starting next weekend when they go to – Colorado and St. Louis it's a seven seven game trip so maybe if Moniac doesn't give you anything here oh they better not do that they better not do that though if if Moniac goes you know 0 for 8 this weekend with with six strikeouts and they say see you later and then they make the Odubel move that's no good like (laughs) that's the thing you can't do to this kid like you have to give him an opportunity now that he's up here you've got to give him 40 50 at bats at the very least to show oh wait Never mind, he's completely overwhelmed. Because if you bring him up for, for three games or six games, you know, two series here, and things don't go well, and you say, oh, wait, never mind, we're sending you back down, that's the exact type of thing that can stunt a player's growth, can kill a player's confidence. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. So, um, I, you know, and, and we don't have that much time. We were looking to keep things sort of short here, but I will tell you, the the only the only other thing that really has jumped out at me through 12 games that I'm willing to say like yes I can say that this is an issue you know where I'm not panicking and I'm not overreacting this bench oh man mm-hmm. this bench dude is a problem you look at where they're at right now and you know Ronald Torres who we talk about in utility can fill in defensively um 
but I mean, he's not a viable late game pinch hitting option. You you see like how they're going to Andrew Knapp for a right-handed hitter late in games. I mean, yeah. that's not good. And um, it, it, I think this was sort of apparent, you know, early on, uh, you know, even down in Clearwater that this bench was a little bit thin and you kind of liked where they were at with Brad Miller. That's a good addition. We haven't seen a whole lot of him yet. Matt Joyce, nice, nice addition. But we're talking about guys that are that are hitting from the left side here, and and they have no solution from the right side right now. None, none whatsoever. Um, that's I think that the, I think Kingery's failing is where is kills him. It's just something yeah. that they did not plan for. And right, I think that it, that is is very evident right now. Yeah, I think that they they anticipated that he was going to be the utility guy, and you know if he's in the lineup and somebody else is out, and it gives you another right-handed batter, whatever the case might be, and they don't they just don't have that flexibility right now. Um, so yeah, the bench is an issue. It really is. And I wonder if that's something that you can rectify sooner rather than later. Um, uh, you know, there might be, a, there might be someone out there that you can get or bring in or whatever, make a small move. Um, but I'll tell you something, Bob, my big, I don't know if you remember, but you, you asked me what my concern was. Well, I know where we're going for this team coming into this year. And my one concern was maybe the starting pitching isn't as good as we think it is. That maybe it's just a little, everybody's just a hair below where we think they should be and that Moore and Anderson are just guys. And so far, again, 12 games, we've had a couple of lights-out outings and we've had a couple of head-scratching outings and a couple of not-very-good outings. And so I'm starting to think that we're more in the head-scratch area at this juncture than we are to be about excited about a good start or pissed off about a bad one. Do you, are you a big believer in the old FIP, the old FIP fielding independent? Go ahead. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, but go ahead. Uh, well, I think it actually kind of proves your point. Chase Anderson, I actually think has done a decent job in both of his starts. You yes. know, I mean, we're yeah, talking yeah. about nine total innings. I believe he's given up like four earned runs. Part of the reason he only went four in the second start was because it was a seven inning game. They had the right. ten arms to use. I think he's given them a chance in both of his starts, and I have no problem with what Chase Anderson's done so far. So I was trying to build a case to support him, and I said, I wonder if the deeper numbers will back me up. And actually, they don't. Uh, his, <laughs> his FIP is 6.69 right now, which is actually worse than Matt Moore's 5.53. And I was ready to kind of get on Matt Moore a little bit. Uh, his whip is over two. Yeah. So what you're getting out of your four and five starters right now is a little bit questionable. Like I said, I actually have no issues with, with what Chase Anderson's given the Phillies. Matt Moore, I thought, was actually really bad on Sunday night. Um, I, I guess you could give him some credit for stabilizing in the second and third inning and not letting that game get totally away from the Phillies, allowing them to get back into the game offensively. But that's really about as nice as I can be with what I've seen from Matt Moore so far. Again, only two times through the rotation, but just when he's in the zone, uh, you know, he, he is just it's very, very hittable. And he has not really been on the corners of the plate through two starts. Uh, and so it's been really problematic. And, you know, the, the, the bigger issue, I think, starts to go back to this whole narrative that we have and, and the thing that's starting to build against Aaron Nola. You look at the first start of the season, and I'm not going to argue with the, the two-run homer by Pablo Sandoval with two outs in the seventh. I thought that Nola was outstanding in that game. Right. Uh, I know that he was aided by the wind a couple times. I get all the arguments. I understand it. But you go out and you look at what he does in the second start. Was not very sharp. And then you go out, you know, what, four innings, one run. And then he was, I thought, not great against the Mets in the third start. And I know that Adam Hazley's misplay in center field 
help kind of spark that rally from the Mets. But you've got to hammer it down there. You can't let that game get away from you. You know, it can't get up to three, four runs. It's, it's got to be held at one like he was able to do in that, that second start, uh, his first against the Mets. Aaron Nola's been very okay. And, you know, one of the things that you're finding right now is that this rotation is just not giving you a lot of length. We're talking about a rotation that on average is given about five innings uh, per start following those first three outstanding starts against the Braves. And that's going to be a problem because this bullpen – Though it's improved, you're going to wear those guys out real quick if you're only going to be able to get 15 outs a game out of your rotation. Yeah, no, no question. And, you know, it's not a surprise. I, mean, I know there was a doubleheader that kind of threw the monkey wrench in, but the Phillies are already kind of juggling the rotation a little bit. Noah's going to pitch on his regular rest on Sunday to split Moore and, and Anderson. And I think that's being done to hope that they can rest the bullpen a little bit because Moore and Anderson aren't giving them a lot of innings. Um, but there was a, there was a chance that if they weren't rained out yesterday, I think Vince Velasquez was probably going to get a start this weekend against the Cardinals um, just because that's, that's the way that the, the, the numbers were lining up. And, you know, I, it just, it's my, it's my one concern that, Noel is not a 1A, he's more of a 1B, that Wheeler, even though he, he bounced, man, he gives up that, those runs early. He gives yeah. up contact early. With his, he throws 97 and gives up that contact. And it's just, I don't understand it. He I'm not be- ready to identify that as a trend, a concerning trend, but the Phillies pitchers over the last like 10 days have really, yeah. really struggled early in games. And I don't know if there's something to that. Well, or- you know, I'll say this, both the Braves and the Mets, have been jumping on first pitch, first pitch fastballs against against the Phillies. Makes me wonder if in early in games, not I mean not necessarily later, um, but early in games, they've been trying to jump on those first pitch fastballs. Making me wonder if there's a thing where the Phillies tend to throw that too much, yeah. right? At the, as a first pitch. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it's not like I said, it's not you know sound the sound the alarms you know something needs to be fixed but at the same time it's not hey we're going to ride these these guys as five horses for the entire season yeah i think there's definitely concerns about the four or five spots uh but I, at the end of the day when i step back and i kind of remove myself from the game and the individual games that we've seen so far i'm still pretty confident in Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola and Zach Eflin as as a threesome like yeah i really kind of believe that that's still a, a pretty solid a trio of starting pitchers, and we'll see what Zach Eflin gives when he goes up against the Cardinals here tonight. Uh, I actually kind of like the Phillies this weekend. Like, I think that come Monday morning, we're going to feel uh, a little bit better about what we saw. I think that this is a team that knows that its performance over this past week uh, was subpar. I think that Bryce Harper, you know, like I asked Bryce Harper about the, the home and road thing, uh, and he, to his credit, gave the most cliche-filled 700 word answer to a question I think I've ever heard. It was, it was really impressive, man. Like Marcus Hayes wrote a column today about Bryce Harper. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was basically like Bryce Harper is a great leader and like knows how to bunt. And it was kind of like a strange column. It was like a really weird time to like come out and like be super, um, you know, complimentary of Bryce Harper. But like a lot of the quotes that were pulled for that piece came from this like ridiculously long answer that Bryce Harper gave to a question I asked. And, it was just like, you know, I've got to be better. We've got to be better. We have one of the best hitting coaches in the game. Like, we're not doing our job. Like, nobody besides JT's done his job. Zach Wheeler pitched well for us tonight. We've got to do a better job. We've got to concentrate more. We've got to do a better job. Like, it was really, really weird, dude. And um, all that being said, I will say my one takeaway from the response was that, like, he knows. Like, he knows that 
this was a bad week and they know that they better come with it this weekend, you know, because one thing he did say that had some substance to it was that this is a good division and it doesn't matter that it's early. You can fall behind. And if you fall behind far enough, you're going to bury yourself. There's not going to be some seven or eight game run that you can just erase come July and August against this division. It's not going to happen. And, and I think that they know it. So there should be some urgency off of the week that they've just had. And I would expect them to come home and play well this weekend. That's my expectation, especially with how the pitching lines up. Okay. So I know we're, we're wrapping this up here. Uh, there's 13 games, another 13 games before they have to play the Mets again. And uh, you got the Cardinals, the Giants, the Rockies, and the Cardinals again out in St. Louis. Uh, safe to say they can't be right around 500 with these 13. Like they got to be better than that. Like, you, you know, you can't go, you can't go six and seven, seven and six in these 13. You got to, you got to win nine, I think, you know, nine and five or nine, whatever is that nine and four, eight and five at worst, right. To kind of get to that Mets series and, and feel, feel a little bit better about yourself. Well, you better, you better win the Rocky series. That's for sure. Because that may be the they worst stink. team in baseball. They, yeah, they stink. stink. Uh, they're zero and six on the road, three and four at home. The Rockies, uh, I believe they're three and ten. They're already eight games out of first place. Yeah. So you better take care of business against the Rockies. The Giants are interesting, and much like last season, they were kind of looked at as an afterthought, and they hung around. They were, you know, there with the Phillies, kind of like sputtering down the stretch, but almost in the postseason last year. The Giants have played well so far. They're eight and four out of the gates, and and they're not one of the National League's best teams, in my opinion. I would assume they'll come back to earth a little bit. That's a team that if the Phillies are a playoff team, they should be. They should, they should take care of business against that team. And I'm not a big believer in the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I am sort of of the mindset that all things NL Central are very mediocre. And mm-hmm. so, again, if you consider yourself to be this 85-88 win team that can make some noise in the division, potentially win a wild card, these are the games you kind of have to start getting out on a run. Now, I don't know how many wins are acceptable over a 13-game stretch. Eight would be, I, I think, fine. You know, eight would be awesome. Eight and five. Sign me up for eight and five so that the Phillies are, you know, 14 and 11 after 25 games. That sounds good to me. You know, yeah. you better go over 500, though. Like you right. said, seven and six would be unacceptable. I don't know. I mean, it's still early. Seven and six, I don't think, is the end of the world. But you better not go under 500 in that stretch. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think I think eight, and I'd I'd rather have. I'm going to be greedy and say I want nine. If you get nine, I think you're feeling really good in two weeks. You know. Yeah, and that and that's where I want to be. I want to feel really good about the Phillies. I don't want to be sitting here and be like, oh, here we go. They got to go against the Mets again. And I'll say this, you know, you listen to us talk. We're expressing concerns. You know, I don't. I, I think that this is all fairly measured. You know, I think what we're saying here is that this is a team that can still be good. This is a team that's done some nice things in the early going. But there are some clear concerns here moving forward. And I think it's just kind of important to look. And when you wrap this all up to say, it's not as bad as it may seem right now. At least I don't think it is. And it probably was not going to be as good as it seemed that first week. I expect this team, despite its flaws, to kind of get it together and and win enough games to remain relevant. That's kind of been my stance all the way back to the beginning of March. I don't think that this is a team that's going to win 90 plus games. I don't. I think that this is a team that, that will provide some entertaining moments this year and will play a different brand of baseball than what we've seen so far, especially offensively. Um, that's my expectation, and it remains my expectation as we kind of sit here and, you know, preview where they're at going into the weekend. Yeah, 
I kind of agree with you, Bob. And, and, you know, they get a couple of nice matchups with pitchers this weekend. I, I, you know, um, it's Carlos Martinez's uh, pitches for the Cardinals tonight. Um, he's looked not good in his first two starts. They get uh, Kung Hwa Kim in his first start of the season uh, uh, tomorrow. And then uh, Sun- who's Sunday? I forget who it was Sunday. Sunday is, oh, it's at uh, John Gant. Who's... I believe that's Nola on Sunday, right? So... Yeah, no- Nola against Gant on Sunday. So <laughs> You are set up to, you know, you should win the series. You, you can never, yeah. they should sweep. I mean, that's kind right. of not how baseball works. But yeah, I mean, they should be in a position to win two or three games this week. I agree. All right, well, that is it for the latest episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. Phillies and Cardinals this weekend at Citizens Bank Park. We will be back probably the middle of next week to kind of catch up. Yeah, the off day is Thursday next week. Yeah, that seems like a good day for an episode, so plan for a Thursday release of our next show. Make sure that you're checking us out, Spotify, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Be nice, be kind. We're always open to some feedback, and we'll talk to you soon.